recovery is possible. Please hear this. Whether you can understand it today, whether you can see it today, whether you can know how to get there today, if you can plant the seed in your heart and in your mind that maybe, just maybe, recovery is possible. Welcome to Created to Thrive. I'm your host, Lori Snyder. If you desire a deeper connection with God, want to know your value and purpose, then you, my friend, are in the right place. I will teach God's Word in a simple and practical way to equip and empower you to become who He created you to be, because you were created to thrive. All right, friends, welcome back to the Created to Thrive podcast. I am going to be continuing my conversation with my good friend, Kelly Nielsen, who is a grief expert. And if you have not listened to episode 112 yet, where we talked about a better way to recover from grief and loss, you are going to go do that now is what I recommend. Listen to that first prior to listening to episode 113, because we're actually just going to continue our in-depth conversation. Kelly has so much expertise and wisdom to share share that we just didn't want to try and jam it all into one episode. So we're having a bonus episode here. And so Kelly, I'm just going to welcome you back on, but first I'm going to read your bio. Kelly Nielsen is a grief recovery expert and author of You're Not Crazy, You're Grieving book. And she has forged a pioneering and revolutionary path in the field of bereavement healing. With a compassionate embrace of neuroscience and profound personal experience, she has crafted the grief relief process, a groundbreaking method reshaping the way individuals process loss. Kelly brings her message of hope and renewal to audiences far and wide, advocating for a world where grief is not a life sentence, but a catalyst for profound personal growth and healing. That is awesome. And Kelly, I'm so excited that you're back on the podcast because you have such an important message that I want everyone to be able to hear. So welcome back. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. So you have created a program and a process really based out of necessity because of your own grief and loss Mm -hmm. of losing your mom to suicide in 2017. And then a year and a half later, your 20 year old son uh, to an accidental drug overdose. Mm -hmm. What would be the first thing that you would want to say to someone who is facing a devastating loss right now? Well, I would want to say, first of all, I'm so sorry for your loss. Nobody can ever say that enough. I just want you to know that, um, our hearts hurt for the fact that your heart is hurting. But the second and equally important thing I want you to hear is that recovery is possible. Please hear this. Whether you can understand it today, whether you can see it today, whether you can know how to get there today, if you can plant the seed in your heart and in your mind that maybe, just maybe, recovery is possible. And maybe, just maybe, you can process this hurt and get back to a place of feeling happy or joyful or even let's just start with, you know, not just surviving each day that you can learn how to live again, you can learn how to live again, and you can learn how to love your life again, you can design a life that you love, that incorporates your loved one, in beautiful and meaningful ways. The fact that your loved one isn't here physically anymore doesn't mean that they're removed from your life. And the beautiful part is you get to decide and design 
how you want to incorporate your loved one in your life. You know, I um, wear every day, my son has these Nike slides and I wear them every day. And it's just a little piece of him that's with me all the time. And it's small. And most days I don't even remember or recognize that they're his slides that, but I got to tell you, that's got to be one of the most prized possessions I have on the earth. And if my house were to burn down, I would grab those slides, you know, it's little things like that. It's inside jokes I have with him. It's big and small things that I do to honor and remember and celebrate him that keep him close to my heart. And I want you to know too, if you've lost someone that you can, it is possible to stay emotionally connected to the person you lost. And it doesn't just have to be through being sad. I think a lot of people stay stuck in a place of sorrow because it makes them feel close, emotionally close to the person they lost when they're sad about it. And that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I'm here to tell you that you can have joyful moments. You can have funny moments. You can have celebratory moments with the person that you lost. It doesn't have to just be connected to sorrow. And that's part of what we teach people to do. But if people uh, who are listening to the sound of my voice have just experienced loss, if they get nothing else from me, please just hear that recovery is possible and it's available for you. So good. I love you so much because you walk the walk and talk the talk. You have been to the depths of despair to know how to climb out and yeah. not just not just survive, but truly thrive. And you're just a beautiful person. And I'm just so honored to call you my good friend. So thank Aww. you again for being here. How does one stop the trauma loops or waves of pain that mm-hmm. can come crashing down on someone who is grieving. Yeah. That is one of the most, you know, disturbing and disorienting things is that it, it comes out of nowhere and it can physically like knock you off your feet. I mean, I there's been times where it feels like someone punched me in the chest. I mean, there are times where And that's one of the things that's why I labeled the book, You're Not Crazy, You're Grieving, because I feel like nobody prepared me for how physical grief is from feeling flu-like symptoms to chest pains to, you know, these kind of panic attack things, like all these things physically that showed up in my body. And so it's very disorienting. When we um, work with folks, we teach people two things. You need to have a set of tools for when a grief wave does come right in the moment. So you need to have grounding techniques and things that you can, that you've practiced and you've learned and you've developed. So breathing box breathing is a basic one. Um, There's some other breathing tools or grounding tools that we do. Another in the moment thing, if you're overwhelmed with grief is to look around the room and describe something you see, describe something you touch, describe something you hear, like focus your mind to focus on something else besides the wave of grief that's coming in on you. Those are just a couple quick examples of in the moment. But the longer, better work is to do the reprogramming of your mind so that the grief waves don't happen. Because the grief wave comes from a triggered thought. Something happens that triggers a sequence in your subconscious and then conscious mind to remind you and to bring you back to the day of the loss. So you hear a sound, you see, you smell a smell, you hear a familiar, something triggers this reaction. And our brains are amazing and great that our brains don't know the difference between what's happening in our imagination and what's happening in real life. So your brain can go right back there. And as far as your brain is concerned, you are right back there, right? So we need to uh, have the tools for when that does happen, but we also need to be intentionally, systematically reprogramming our subconscious mind so that it is untriggerable. 
so that it doesn't get triggered like that. And so that's some of um, the work that we do. I'll just share. So a lot of the work we do with our clients is um, teaching frameworks and mantras, little statements. We talked about this in the previous episode to attack lies or misconceptions or thoughts that are hindering your healing. And we help them flip them around and come up with truthful statements that are healing focused, right? And the more you say that, the more you're programming your mind. So it takes 23 days to establish a thought. It takes 63 days for that thought to become automatic, right? So to move from our conscious mind or short-term memory to subconscious mind or long-term memory, that process is 63 days. The lesson here in terms of grief recovery If you intentionally, systematically train your brain how to think about your loss, if you instruct your brain what you want to think about the loss for 63 days consistently, that will become the programming that your subconscious mind believes. So for example, my framework, when my son passed away, I would say over and over and over again, my son is not gone. He's just not here. I will see him again one day and we'll have all of eternity to spend together. And I cannot tell you how many times I said that in the beginning days and weeks after he passed away. I just said it over and over. Mm-hmm. And at first it was a comforting to me. I had to, re- I had to remind myself, mm-hmm. he's not gone. He's just not here. I will see him again one day and we'll have all of eternity to spend together. But the beautiful part and where the magic really happens is I did it so often that it became automatic. And the point when I really knew how powerful this was, was about six weeks or maybe eight weeks after he had passed away. And I was driving home from work one day and a grief wave hit me so strong. And it was this loud voice in my head saying, he's gone, he's gone. It was like someone was yelling in my head, he's gone. And I've never had a panic attack, but I'd imagine that this is what it's like. I started hyperventilating. My chest started feeling really tight. I was driving. I was nervous I was going to get in an accident. And without even thinking, I just gripped the steering wheel and I said, he is not gone. He's just not here. I will see him again one day and we'll have all of eternity to spend together. And Lori, the moment that last word left my mouth, every physical trace of that trigger just disappeared. It's like my body obeyed. And the beautiful part is I didn't even consciously do it. I couldn't have consciously done it in that moment because it was so overwhelming and it was so intense, but I had done the work ahead of time. So my subconscious mind just kicked in and gave that automatic response. And that was when I was like, oh my gosh, like this stuff really works. And so that was a very long-winded answer to say, if you're troubled by grief triggers, you really need to be doing two things. Number one, you need to be developing a tool set and an arsenal of tools to use when they do hit you in order to manage and mitigate them as best you can. And then number two, though, you need to be doing the longer work of reprogramming your mind so that they don't happen or they don't happen as often or that they self-resolve even when they do happen because your subconscious mind deals with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So good. And you have, talk about your membership. So where does someone get these tools and equipping? Yeah. So in our, we have a monthly membership, Grief Relief Nation, which is a recovery community I will never use the word support group. We are a dynamic recovery community. We are supportive, but we are all committed to the work of recovery. And so in that community, we have lessons on, you know, we have lessons just strictly on like coping for when you have tough days, these types of coping skills. But then we also have the lessons that take you through um, our five-step process. So what I'm talking about today 
is a lot of what is step three of our process, which is what we call mindful makeover. And that's where we teach you a lot about this neuroscience and how you can be intentionally reprogramming your brain. But we, when we work with folks, we start the reprogramming at step one. As soon as they start coming in, and actually I'm going to encourage everyone who's listening, if you do nothing else for your grief recovery, I want you to create and adopt and meditate and repeat one sentence. And the sentence is something along the lines that I am recovering from this. Every day I'm getting closer to my recovery. Every day I'm moving in my recovery. And I, w- I don't want you to say I will recover from this. I want you to say, I am recovering from this. Do you hear how different that is? And your brain, our brain takes things very literally. So if you say, I will recover from this, more importantly, if you say, I won't recover from this, if you say, I won't recover from this, you can save yourself buying books or going to counseling or doing anything because you've already told your mind that you will not recover from this and all the help in the world is not going to help you. Likewise, if you tell your brain, I am recovering from this, your brain is going to find you resources and support and help to assist in the recovery. Mm -hmm. But if you say, I will recover from this, it's an open-ended question. You will tomorrow, you will 10 years from now, like it's not a definitive thing. Our brains really love when we give them the end results and they're masters at like manufacturing the past to get there. But the clearer we can be with the instruction, the easier it is for our brain to find the path. So if you say, every day I'm recovering, every day I'm, you know, and it has to ring true to you. So I really encourage people, take some time, come up with a sentence about the fact that this won't last forever. This is a season, not a sentence. You're learning, you're growing, you're evolving, you're adapting. You're becoming a different person as you go through this. Like anything along those lines is going to, even just that, is gonna, you'll be amazed. It's gonna break off that heavy, like feeling like this is gonna last forever and you're never gonna get out of it. Just saying that to your brain every day, you're gonna find that you start feeling more nimble. You're gonna start feeling like you can move a little bit more. It's gonna be so good for you. That's so great. That's so great. And we talked about in the in the previous episode, we talked about your steps one and two from going from that self-awareness because it's so important that people give themselves permission to even want to recover and that they right. should recover because they still have so much life to be living and contributing to um to society, so speak. Yeah. And and that's where you've taken the tragedy and um, are now empowering and equipping so many people. So I love that you, you are doing that. And I will have that link in the show notes. Um, before we talk more about that, and let's just talk about something real quick. Cause you mentioned, you know, healing isn't linear. Mm-hmm. And what I have found with doing my coaching with people, just everyday trauma responses. What I loved was you started with the body because mm-hmm. we're a spirit, soul, and body, mm-hmm. but we start with what we, we can't see our spirit, right? We, mm-hmm. we understand who we are by getting into the word of God to understand who we are spiritually, but our soul is our mind, our will and emotions and involves our imagination. But if we start with the body, that is something very tangible. We can put our finger on because mm-hmm. I know for a long time, I couldn't even identify what I was feeling. And it really comes from self-awareness. Like I am so much more this version of me. Oh my gosh. Because you don't, if you're going to recover from grief, you're going to have to raise your self-awareness bar, your self-awareness around your emotions, your capacity, 
what you can and can't do and to learn to be okay with that, to learn to give yourself margin, to not overextend yourself. Like you have to learn how to manage your emotional energy because you have like a minute amount of emotional energy to work with. It's depleted all that. So you really have to learn where you can afford to spend emotional energy and where you need to conserve emotional energy. And that's something I want to touch on really quick too about triggers that we didn't talk talk mm. about before. The other piece about triggers, so having something to deal when they happen, rewiring so they don't happen. But the other deal is preventing them from an environment standpoint. So that's another thing that we do with people is we do a complete audit of their environment and everything, their house, their what they're watching on TV, what they're reading, what their li- music can be a huge trigger for people. Um, coworkers, family members, you really need to, especially in the beginning, we want to minimize the chance of being triggered as much as possible. We can't control everything and everyone, but we can control a whole lot more than what we realize. And so anything we can do to remove the chance of being triggered so that our minds and bodies can calm down and stabilize so that we can have the energy to deal with triggers later and give ourselves some time to do that rewiring work. So for one quick example of this is, you know, when my son first died, I only listened to Spotify. I don't listen to the radio or whatever. And I have a playlist, pretty extensive playlist. And there are a handful of songs that just remind me of Quentin or remind me of memories. And when he very first passed away, one of those songs would come on and I would be a mess, you know, like it would just, I would be in tears. It would take me a long time to recover. And it would just mess up my day. So for a while, I removed all the songs that made me think of Quentin off of my playlist just for a season, just so that I could get some stability. And then I reintroduced him. In fact, now I have a Quentin playlist and I listen to it and it's a joyful thing for me. I feel closer to him when I listen to that playlist. But to understand, people need to understand you are in a season of recovery and you need to act accordingly. You need to adjust your life and your surroundings. What I tell people is imagine you were in a really bad car accident or you had major surgery. That's how you need to treat yourself. Don't expect the same from yourself. The people around you should not expect the same from yourself. And you need to adjust your household, adjust your environment. You know, if pictures are on the wall and every day you pass that picture of your loved one and you're a puddle of tears, take the picture down. And this is where it just has to be empowered to like, The name of the game right now when you're recovering is you need to take care of you and do everything so that we can get your oxygen mask on back on so that you can help others. So this is the time not to be selfish, but to be self-focused, right? Like you, like we said, don't have extra emotional energy. So if pictures on the wall make you cry, take those pictures down and then revisit it in three months. This is another thing we work with folks every three months because you will find it's a moving target. And if you're doing it well, in three months, some of those boundaries should change. You know, I can't pinpoint the exact point when I put the music back on the list. But the point is, like, you should be growing and changing and feeling better. And you just test out, like, how's music? Oh, no, music still is a tough one. I'm going to take it back off, right? And But it needs to be an ongoing conversation for you. And then there are some things that you're never going to put back on the list. One silly example I used to watch the show Intervention. Don't ask me why, but I did. I used to watch the show Intervention, which for those of you who haven't seen, it's all about, you know, drug addicts and families doing intervention and they try to get them to go to treatment. And sometimes they go to treatment and recover and sometimes they don't. And it's very, and that for me will never be a show I will ever watch. I probably shouldn't have watched it in the first place, but the point is 
because of the nature of the people around me and how they died and why they died, like that will never be a fruitful show for me. Never, never, ever. Because either I'll see it and I'll see someone recover and be sad that my son didn't get to experience that, or I'll see it and someone will pass away and I'll remember, you know, like, so some things are going to be on your never ever list, but for the most part, things are fluid and things move and you um, get to decide as you go how and when to reintroduce things. But in the very beginning, especially, you need to create an environment that's conducive for healing mm-hmm. unapologetically. Mm-hmm. And you need to understand that those choices you're making are the best thing that you can do for your loved ones. Mothers especially are so, we're so concerned about our kids and our husband and everything else. What your kids and your husband need is their mom and their wife. They need you to commit to this work to to recover so that you can be emotionally available to them. Um, so if if you just try to put a Band-Aid or just try to pretend you're okay or try to be strong for them, you're not doing anyone any favors. So I just try to encourage and empower people to give themselves the space and room and time to really do this work well. Yeah. Thank you for saying that because self-care is so critically important. And mm-hmm. Too many women, especially mothers, take on a martyrdom type role mm-hmm. where they're taking care of everybody else and they're a hot mess and they're really not taking care of people because right. it, it it doesn't go under. They're just passing on dysfunction. Yeah. And yeah. grief, especially, we have such screwed up traditions yeah. or lack thereof. How your family handles grief. So think about this, parents. Everyone's watching when you're grieving. And whether you're doing it right or doing it wrong, people are watching and seeing how you're doing it. And so don't don't feel pressured by that. Think of it as a beautiful opportunity that if you had bad examples in your upbringing or your family didn't talk about grief or they were very dysfunctional in the way that they handled it, you now have an opportunity to change that in your family lineage. You can do it better. You can actually heal. You can model what it looks like to process grief and, and go through a place of healing and your kids and your you know family and friends are going to see that and so when they experience loss they're not going to be somebody who hasn't seen an example of someone who recovered they had you know if you, if you will lean in and do the work you get to be the up close personal example for them so that they know it's possible and so that's just what we're trying to do is help replicate that over and over again so that everybody will see an example of healing in their family in their community yeah so important. And it definitely is a movement that you have going on here. And so I know you have, you know, you have a five-step process and we've only talked about two in the first episode and (laughs) one here. So they're going to have to get the fourth and fifth by going, uh, either getting your book or getting into the membership. And you have a special uh, gift for our listeners here at Created to Thrive. What will they get by joining your membership as special listeners just for them? (laughs) Yes, I truly, I'm coming out of retirement for Lori's (laughs) listeners, because it has been a minute since I did any one-on-one coaching. But for all of the Thrive listeners, if you join our Grief Relief Nation membership and you send me the message Thrive, I will send you an autographed copy of my book, You're Not Crazy, You're Grieving. And I will send you a link to book a one-on-one chat with me so we can get you acclimated to the membership and we can talk, you and I can talk directly about where you're at, where you're struggling, and I can point you exactly to uh, the best place to start within the membership. Yes. That is so awesome, Kelly. Thank you. I know that's a very generous gift that you are giving, especially that they get you 
and because you are amazing. And I just love you so much. And it's been such a treat. And I just have to tell you personally, knowing you for the last year and a half, really last year, mm-hmm. um, you have grown by leaps and bounds. Your whole countenance has changed since I mm-hmm. first met you. And you, you are living proof that this process works. And I know you've been in this journey for, for quite some time, but just seeing where you are now is mm. just awesome. And I know that everyone is going to benefit by being part of your membership and the tools that you give. The real, what I love about it is the real practical everyday tools that are easy for anyone who is wanting to get healed. What is your statement that you said that you can't choose grief, but you can choose recovery? Well, I always say is, yeah, trauma is not your fault, but healing is your responsibility. You know, we didn't ask for this. We didn't deserve it. But but the healing part of it belongs to us. We're responsible. Nobody else can do it for us. We have to do the work. Time does not heal all wounds. And so you have to take responsibility and be an active participant in your own healing. But the beautiful part is if you'll do that and commit to that, it can be faster than what you think. If you will commit to the process and the responsibility of it and take cons- consistent steps and actions it'll be faster than, than what you think. So I'm thrilled. I would love, I can't wait to get a bunch of thrivers in the membership. We will be glad to have them. That's right. Awesome. And again, I'll have that in the show notes, but they would email you at Kelly at grace for living after loss, Kelly at grace for living after loss.com. And then you're on social media. Yep. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. And that's another yeah, there's a lot of videos on our YouTube channel. And so that's a great additional free resource for folks. Okay. And it's grace for living after loss. Yes. So reach out to you and Kelly, I'm just going to ask that you'd pray again for, for people that yeah. need your wisdom, love and encouragement. Yeah, my pleasure. Father God, I thank you for every person that is listening to this message. And and Lord, if they are walking through a season of mourning and grief, I pray, Lord, first of all, that you would give them hope and you would give them faith and you would give them courage. And then, Lord, I ask that you would give them, you would give them a practical next step. And I pray that they would, even in this moment, obey, that they would commit to obeying whatever the step you have for them would be. And Lord, if they would find their way into our care and our community, I just pray an acceleration on their healing, Lord, that they would grasp these concepts. But most importantly, Lord, that they would lean in even closer to you, that this would be a time of fresh and new and deepened intimacy with you. God, I pray that they would know your goodness in a way they've never known before. And they would know your faithfulness like they've never known before. And I thank you, Lord, that you're forming in them even now the capacity to hold greatness. Lord, we don't know what that greatness is, but I say yes and amen for the greatness that you have in store for them. And I pray that you'd give them the strength to endure and the wisdom to take the right steps to make this season as short as possible. Lord, we're not going to skip steps, but we're not here to prolong any unnecessary suffering, God, that you would give them quick healing, quick restoration, that you would help to create the neurological loops by your design, God, to promote healing and health and wholeness, that they can be a beacon of light in their families, in their communities, and that their soul would be at at rest and at peace and would enjoy joy again. God, I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
Amen. I would just encourage everyone to please share this episode, the last uh, the last episode as well, episode 112 and this one, 113, because there are so many people that need to have practical tools to help them recover after grief and loss. So until next time, you were created to thrive. God bless. <music>